0: Weather at planting time shows trouble for the eastern Corn Belt, while continued drought brings more risk of wildfires in the west. Welcome to Around Farm Progress, a podcast that looks at agriculture issues across the country. I'm Willie Vogt, your host and editorial director for Farm Progress. This week we're talking about weather and wildfires, and while they're related, it depends on what part of the country you're in. Tom Beckman, editor of Indiana Prairie Farmer, offers a look at new weather maps released April 21st that showed cooler weather will linger in May, and for the eastern Corn Belt, the forecast remains wetter than normal. That's not a good combination at planting time. Yet out west, the lingering drought persists, and those weather maps show no break. Those conditions combine to ramp up the risk of prairie wildfires, including one in Nebraska that's been burning since April 7th. To discuss the wildfire situation on those prairie lands, we turn to Kurt Ahrens, editor of Nebraska Farmer, and Jennifer Latsky, editor of Kansas Farmer. They discuss the extent of the challenges and offer some tactics for farmers ahead of what looks like a continued, hot, dry summer as La Nina lingers. First up, Tom Beckman delivers the weather forecast news. Tom, it's always good to talk to you, sir.
1: You too, Willie. Glad to be here this morning.
0: So it's interesting, um, obviously, you and I were going to talk about one thing, and we're going to talk about something a lot different, and that is uh, you've got new weather maps,
1: and they aren't giving a lot of good news, are they? Uh, no, not on the surface. It's not quite what uh, the climatologist here in Indiana was expecting, a little bit different, and uh, we can get into it, but we have uh, just issued on uh, here today when we're doing this was uh the new maps are issued once a month from NOAA, and these are one-month one, one month outlooks and uh, then three-month outlooks. These are from the long-term weather people, and I have it for – they're actually for across the country, and we can zero in on the eastern Corn Belt, Indiana, or the west. They're total opposites, so wherever you want to go, we can go.
0: Well, I think that's important, and I want to back up for a minute. Yes, uh, Tom, uh, you came to me. And we were going to talk about your crop plots, which we'll talk about in a few okay. weeks. But we're talking today about a week before this podcast airs, and these are the new maps that are one month and three month outlooks for weather. And we had all kind of hoped that the precipitation outlook and the temperature outlook would improve, right? And what you're sharing with me is that they didn't improve.
1: Well, the uh, especially the tip, the uh, precipitation outlook. Uh, this Beth Hall, the state Indiana State climatologist, and also director of the uh, Midwest Region Climate Center, which is now at Purdue, covers several Midwest states for information collecting. Um, she was pretty much that knew that it was going to be the, the odds were going to favor some above normal precipitation. What uh, for for May and even probably for the three month uh, May June and July. What she was hoping was that the uh, temperature was going to be Um, I'm getting a map here to look so Mm -hmm. I can tell you for sure, but she was hoping the temperature was going to be, the odds were going to favor above normal. And instead um, they come out for May, pretty uh, heavy odds of below normal uh, for all of Indiana, all of Ohio, uh, the eastern, kind of the eastern, almost eastern half of Illinois, and then goes up into Michigan and out into the on west into the Upper Great Great Plains. But um, why this is important, to her, as she pointed out to me, and uh, makes sense, is if you have, like in 2019, when it was so wet and we we're so late across a large part of the Midwest, uh, but it was cool and wet. If you can get warm and wet, you get a, you get more evapotranspiration, the soils dry quicker, and you get some chance, you got better odds of getting a few days in a row when you can plant. Um, And I still don't, you know, I still don't think this is the end of the world, because it's still it's probability, and in Indiana here, we're seeing tremendous swings. It snowed, literally snowed. I have pictures of it snowing Monday, the 18th, this past Monday, Mm -hmm. and Saturday, it's going to be 85, they claim. So and that's within a five-day swing. So uh, that used to be more like you get maybe a 30s to a 70 or a 60. The swings are just much wider. She's noted that. And uh, so anyway, that's kind of but that's kind of where we're at. It's not an encouraging prediction, no. Well, I think
0: what's interesting, and you made that comment. You, know, you had snow on the 18th, and then it's going to be 85 on the 23rd. Um, I'm in Minnesota. We're going to see 65 the 23rd, and we're going to see 40s by Monday, back down. So this roller coaster temperature that we're on, then to get this May outlook, that uh, combined with a precipitation outlook that is not a surprise for the Eastern Corn Belt, it isn't going to dry out, and it's going to be a tough. It's going to be a tough year to get this crop in. We're not trying to be harbingers of doom, but I think that this is one of those years that if you get if you can string two or three days in a row, there better be your equipment better be ready.
1: It better be ready, and I think most people uh, are paying attention. From what I can see, it is ready. Um, they've been ready to go because a lot of them are into, and they've a lot of them have, have figured out, seen for themselves. It's not just stuff that people like us write about, but earlier planted soybeans pay. So a lot of them are ready to go with uh, bean and corn planters, that have been ready for a couple of weeks in the southern counties of our area, but. Uh, so, I think that'll, that's not an issue. The issue is going to be making that gut-wrenching tough call that I grew up helping my dad make myself of uh, when's the soil dry enough to go on and you get out there and you think, well, I'll just get to dry it out. That that never works. You just create compaction. You feel better about it, but in the end, uh, you don't feel so good when the crop doesn't perform very well. So, I think those are going to be the tough decisions, especially on fields that aren't tiled. Fortunately, a lot of tiling is being done this year in Indiana. A lot's been done in the last five years, but there are still those fields that aren't tiled. We were in one last year with the Cornwatch field. It happened to be not tiled, and it showed up very a lot last year. We had a wet spring here last year, and even though it got planted, we lost a lot of nitrogen in the field and affected part of it. But So I think that's going to be the tough part is when do you go what if you got once you use up the fields that are drier then then you get down to wow am i going to plant this and get it in here in may or am i going to risk waiting all the way to june so that may be the kind of year we're looking at and it uh you really farmers earn their money here and making decisions
0: yeah, that's true. I think the only good news in the maps that she shared is that uh, you get later out in the three month on those seasonal temperature outlook and it starts to warm up or provides equal chances of warmer weather. So if we can get this crop in, we get into the growing season, we may be okay on temperature, right? And what's what, still what, that precipitation.
1: Yes, that's what the maps would indicate. I mean, there's nothing showing up. If you're going to go with the maps and you're going to go believe their forecast you're going to say that july and august look like uh average to maybe a chance for above normal precip and uh and average temperatures what do we get to june and july i shouldn't have said august i'm sorry it's june (laughs) may june and july are the three months but um anyway so it looks pretty good through you know mid all the way through mid-summer all the way up through july from what they see now once if we can get it in the ground uh it looks more favorable
0: yeah temperature wise it does i'm a little concerned about the precipitation forecast only in that that creates wetter conditions which means we're going to be dealing with diseases in june and july right i mean those are the things we'd have to keep
1: our eye on as well Right. So. yeah that and uh more nitrogen loss like i just mentioned mm-hmm. we, saw, we saw last year and uh It can happen. So with the high nitrogen prices, some people may have shaved rates some anyway, and so they may that may become an issue as well. But if the crops plant a little later, you know that gives you a chance to side dress and maybe in deeper into June than you normally would, and you can make your decision then if you can get the product and think you need to add more. So all we can do, Willie, is in our business is try to put the information out there. We put out different viewpoints and let let uh, the farmer let you guys listen and decide. But at least we want you to have the information. And that's why I thought it was important to get this latest weather information out there with some interpretation from the climatologist behind it. So so you know what what's out there and you can get on and look at these weather maps. It's not it's public information, so you don't have to take our word for it. <laughs>
0: We're in the business of communicating, Tom. So, yeah, definitely. That's right. for sure. Well, and I think that it it just it feels like it's compounding, right? We've had this weird winter, and now we're getting it a, a looks like a, a three-month forecast of more more rain than we, we knew that. But then this colder temperature thing in May means it's going to be just a tough year to plant. We all are ready for that. Um, we all have bigger equipment. Hopefully, we can move faster. Um, I don't know if that's always true but well, uh, I think that that's an issue sent, too.
1: Yeah. You sent me up there. Give me a big <laughs> fat softball. I'm going to hit that one out. So, uh, also this week, uh, Bob Nielsen, the Purdue has been the Purdue corn specialist for 40 years. And he is probably, I think he's, he is in his last year here. He's part time, but uh, we have a new Dan Quinn doing an excellent job is going to is taking his role. But so Bob's had some time to go back and look over data, uh, and write up some tremendously valuable interesting reports if you haven't seen it he released two this week and one of them was on and, uh, basically it was a, have uh, are we getting more corn and beans soybeans planted earlier than we did 25 years ago and based on indiana data and he looked at uh, data from the USDA nas statistics people of planting in Indiana over about 25 years, Mm -hmm. how much planted by different weeks. His conclusion is that no, we're not getting planted any faster than we did 25 years ago. And as you mentioned, you think, wait a minute, that can't be right. We got, you know, compared to 25 years ago, we went from 12 rows to 24, a few even bigger than that, but 24 is kind of the standard around here, maybe two planters. Well, is in his as he broke it down, his theory is that, yeah, but over the same period, the uh, number of farmers and farm operations has dropped. So, fewer farmers covering more ground, we need bigger equipment, more equipment to cover the same amount of acres. And when you look at the numbers reported for when the crops get planted, it turns out. That we haven't changed in 25 years. So <laughs> that that couple with this weather report at least wakes you up a little bit to think about. Whoa! I better be ready when I do get my chance. So that's, well, that's what I take from that. Thanks for throwing that softball at well, me.
0: Well, that that's interesting. It's sort of the Red Queen theory, right? I don't know if you know this Alice in Wonderland and the Red Queen. No, yeah, she's, I mean, run, she's running, running very fast, and the faster she runs, the behind her she gets.
1: Right. Okay. That's <laughs> so, kind so, of the, yeah. I think Not, I think that
0: there are farmers with twenty four two twenty four row planters right now that are thinking to themselves, you know, you're right. I basically just get done about the same time I always get done. So
1: right, pretty much, pretty much it. And uh, there's a few, you know, been a few exceptions over the years, but uh, you know, I guess you kind of don't want to be. Uh, I guess I could say, you know, hope we don't get stuck in the mud here and more. We'll yeah, I, mud, but. I,
0: I'm worried about that, and we all are, because mudding it in is also not good news in the long run for the health of the soil or that crop. So definitely, it's a challenge. You know, the other weather thing, as we talk here for a moment before we wrap up, is, and even though this isn't your part of the world, it does lead into our next conversation on this issue and this episode of Around Farm Progress is that this same weather map does not offer good news to the West in the drought.
1: No, it does not. And um, I'm sitting here looking at the temperature outlook for, for May, Um, And over the areas, uh, the west, even go, you know, a little bit, uh, a little bit in Nebraska, but farther, even farther southwest. And you get all the way down, uh, there's a big above normal, pretty likely for temperature. And uh, then it fans out in different shades of probability, but it's all more than an equal chance of getting, uh, staying with high temperatures. If you flip to the precipitation map, it's below normal precept for that. It's just the, about the opposite of what we're seeing in the uh, Midwest, especially the eastern Corn Belt and mm. uh, upper, upper all the way out in the east, the east, northern England area. Well, New England, it tapers off a little bit, but it's kind of the opposite of what we're seeing and what they've got down there.
0: Well, and the bad news is if you look at the three-month precipitation forecast, it's also below um, for most of those areas that have been in the and if you look at the u.s drought monitor which would it it isn't getting any better there and we'll be discussing that in the next part of this podcast when we talk with uh, kurt arens and uh, jennifer latsky from nebraska farmer and kansas farmer about the wildfires out there and this continuing problem that they're dealing with Tom Beckman, good to talk to you about the weather in the eastern Corn Belt, where it's going to be wet and cold, which is not a good combination. We appreciate your help and uh, coverage of this, and keep up the good work. Thank you, Willie. Good to talk to you. Thanks to Tom Beckman, editor of Indiana Prairie Farmer, for that weather conversation. A little side note, and I kind of referenced it at the beginning of the call, the original topic we'd planned to discuss didn't happen for this episode. We were going to talk about his 2022 plot work and what he hopes to learn this year. We will return back to that in a few weeks. We turn now to wildfires. Those weather maps that Tom shared offer little hope of relief for the West. And while that wildfire in Arizona is getting a lot of national attention, there's a big burn in Nebraska you may not have heard much about. Kurt Arns, editor of Nebraska Farmer, and Jennifer Latsky, editor of Kansas Farmer, discuss the current fire, the rising trend of grassland wildfires, and offer some insight into what farmers can do if trouble strikes. In fact, before trouble strikes. Jennifer Latsky and Kurt Arns, uh, welcome to Around Farm Progress.
2: Well, thanks so much, Willie. Great to be here.
0: So we're talking about a topic that I'm not sure five years ago I would even have thought of this. When I think of fires, I think of Colorado and Nevada and Arizona and Washington, you know, the West, the great big forests. But we're burning up the grasslands, aren't we?
2: Well, yes. Yes, we are. Um, Willie, you know, if we look back to 2016, uh, we've here in Kansas, we've had about one um to sometimes two major headline grabbing wildfires a year and they're longer, stronger, bigger events than what we normally would think of as a little bit of an ignition type of thing it started with starbuck and anderson creek and we now have four county that that happened just this last uh december and the immediate fighting of those fires is pretty difficult because, as you know, we've we've got such widespread drought out here, and we have such high fuel loads that um, when the when the winds come and the conditions are just right, it'll take off and it'll go quick, fast, and in a hurry.
0: Kurt, you've seen the same thing in Nebraska. Is it more recent there, or how's that situation?
3: Yeah, we've got uh, the biggest. Uh, wildfire of this season going on right now in Gosper and Furnace counties in South Central, Southwest Nebraska, where, uh, started April 7th with an evergreen tree that was dead and, uh, got blown into a power line by about a 70 mile an hour straight line wind. And since then, uh, I think it's burned about, uh, 35,000 acres. It's about a 22 mile fire line. That's about three or four miles wide up and down the canyons and grasslands. And, and, uh, it's still smoldering. We've had, you know, we just haven't had any calm days. That's been the problem and no no, really uh, measurable precip. And so these fires are ongoing. I think it's considered 80% contained as of today. But, I mean, the reality is it burned like seven farm homes and about 50 outbuildings, barns, killed livestock. Uh, and uh, one of our uh, volunteer fire chiefs at Elwood uh, Darren Crull, uh was killed in, a, in an accident, you know, the vehicle he was in because of the smoke and everything going on. They ran into another vehicle, emergency vehicle, and he was killed. And so, you know, tons of accidents and injuries, and it's just a tough, tough road to hoe for the about 40 volunteer fire departments that are still working on that fire every day.
0: That's a significant challenge. I mean, has Nebraska been that way? I mean, have you seen the same types of fire activity that Kansas has had?
3: Um, I would say not to that extent of Kansas last year. This season, however, I think um you know, the fires kind of started a little bit earlier in Kansas, um but since you know, January, Nebraska's seen its fair share. And I mean, you know, historically, like '06 and 2012, in the northern parts of Nebraska, and the Pine Ridge, in particular, um, you know, we've lost about 150,000 acres of native ponderosa pine stand in the Pine Ridge uh, since '06. And uh, there have been a lot of factors involved in that, but you know, wildfire has been a pretty major contributor to that loss. And so. Uh, you know, fires have been around and they continue to be around in years like this. Darn it, they they set us up in a bad way. Right, Jenny?
2: Yeah. And, you know, it's important for listeners to understand that there's a difference between wildfire and prescribed or controlled burns that we do for management of our pastures. I, I grew up in the edge of the Flint Hills in Kansas. And I grew up setting controlled fires with my folks on our pasture ground to burn off the old growth and allow for t- um, that nutrient to cycle and have brand new growth to, to occur. And a lot of these wildfires, um, it's actually nature's way of of taking care of of renewing the environment. It's a it's a natural cycle, as it were. What the problem is, is we have such high fuel loads because we have reduced grazing. Or we have have done other management practices that um, we're trying to to get as much growth as possible out there for 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 um, for conservation efforts, but at the same time we have um, environmental conditions that are we have hot weather we have the La Nina event we've got drought we've got high winds, and and that's when you have the conditions right for a wildfire and so it's really important that we still have Um, people that understand that people understand there's a difference between wildfire and controlled burns.
0: Um, Well, and and the conditions, you know, you both mentioned the conditions that matter, the heat and the wind. And I've never seen uh, even where I am in northern in Minnesota, the amount of wind this winter has been crazy. 30, 40 knot winds all the time happened just last week. We had 50 knots up here, which is unbelievable for this part of the country. When you think about that, we're, in the past when nature did its job, Jenny, it wasn't mm-hmm. it wasn't the same extent as it is now, right? Because we didn't have the fuel load. So if nature started a wildfire, you could usually get it under control.
2: Right. And also there wasn't so much of the human element involved in this. The reason why these fires also get a lot of attention, and it's because there is a human cost to these fires. There is mm-hmm. the loss of, sadly, life in some instances of, of people that are fighting the fires, there's a loss of livestock. In the four-county um, wildfire in, in December, we had thousands head that, that perished. Uh, at, at, at in the Starbuck and Anderson Creek fires, those happened in the spring just as cows were calving. And so there was double the loss because there were essentially the calf crop on the ground and the potential calf crop of the future that were lost in those fires. Um, with humanity being so close in some of these areas, um, wildfire has a has a big cost to it.
0: Yeah, it does. Well, so, if I'm living in that part of the world, um, whether I'm in Nebraska or Kansas or you know Oklahoma and the Panhandle of Texas, is there anything I can do? Is there anything we can? Is there anything a farmer can take action on, or is it or a rancher, or is it just keep an eye out and try and get out of everything out of the way when it happens?
2: I'm glad you asked that because uh, farmers today, after five years of this, have really started to be more proactive on their farmsteads. Um, They're making sure that there is a defensible perimeter around their houses, around their outbuildings, making sure that they don't have tall grasses. Everything is kept mowed down. Um, Not only does that make the farmstead look neat, but it's a safety thing as well. Um, I know several farmers that uh, that make sure that they know where the keys to all the equipment are Um, some farm so they can move quickly. Mm -hmm. Um, Oklahoma State University actually has created a great web uh, web resource and um, that they have collected advice on how to fireproof your operation and to to make those plans of what you're going to do when fire comes, not if fire comes. You know, we all know where we're gonna go in a tornado. That's the first thing that they teach us the minute we can crawl here on the plains yeah, is where do absolutely. you go for a tornado? Um but not many people know what they're gonna do in case fire comes knocking on their doorstep. And in that case, Kurt, you'll you have to, uh have talked with folks that have um figured out some of those resources as well, but you need to really know what you're gonna do before it happens.
3: Yeah uh, I <laughs> Uh, in two thousand and twelve the niborough valley that 's not the official name there were several fires that contributed in the Nibra Valley around Ainsworth. but one of the parents after uh, after the fires had subsided told me that one of the first things they uh, packed as they were going in and out of their farmstead uh, you know depending on which way the wind was blowing, whether they thought that they were going to be engulfed with fire or not uh, was the kids four H projects. Willie, because the county fair was coming up and doggone it, they had worked pretty hard on those projects and they didn't want to lose them. So, you know, it's all in our priorities, but yes, I mean, seriously, uh, you know, having that information and we think, you know, Oh gosh, I, I know my neighbor's phone number and I know this and that, but if you're in a chaotic situation, I mean, total chaos and you have to leave in a hurry. And, and when you have a 70 mile an hour wind bearing down on you with a wildfire, you know, a mile away and traveling, you know, what some of the extension folks are telling me was a mile every five minutes. You know, you don't have time to think. So having those things, uh, GPS coordinates of the farm, um, you know, just all kinds of things that emergency people would need um, and phone numbers to let your neighbors know, contact information of emergency personnel or perhaps Uh, FSA folks or, you know, people that you're going to need to contact in case you can't get back to your place. Um, You know, it's things that we don't think about, but those are really crucial items when one of these disasters happens to you. And so, you know, that preparedness thing is a big deal, whether it's wildfires, flooding, or all of the other crazy disasters like tornadoes that we see, you know, out here on the plains.
2: And Kurt, just to, to add to that, not only do you need to have a plan for yourself and your family and your employees and have it written down and make sure everybody knows where that that written down plan is located, but have a plan for your livestock too and your horses um, you know we've seen many times in these fires when that fire is going um you can't cut fences fast enough, and if you know that fire is coming up in your area, you know it's you know five miles away, the next county next over. Just have a have a plan. Know where know where your livestock trailer is and have it hitched up or ready to go. Know where your your cattle are and where's the next greenest grass that you can take them to to make sure that they're safe. Um, not only that, but think about it this way. We've adopted no till practices so much that we rarely have on our farmsteads. Now, the tillage equipment to even till a break around our farmsteads to a fire break around our farmsteads. Um, in the in the case of the Anderson Creek fire, and I believe also the Starbuck fire, uh, there were farmers that were trying desperately to, to figure out what they were going to do um, with the equipment on their farmstead. The firefighting crews needed that equipment, but they didn't know where the keys were and nothing was <laughs> nobody was around to help them um, start up an, an engine and get that going. So, like I said, you. These are things that just start plotting it out in your head. What what would I do? And and take some time and thought into it and ask neighbors what they think too.
0: So I would add to that uh, before we move past it, because it's a very big deal to be prepared. Think about your financial records and the paperwork that you need to run your farm and make sure that it's all scanned and in the cloud. Then you can access that from any computer anywhere, wherever you are, wherever you end up. It's a simple process, and it's something to think about, too, because in the old days, we thought about the financial to-go box, a box you could grab when you had to leave the house, and it had all specific key records if you had them in the house. And it's something as simple as scanning them all and putting them in the cloud. At least you have a record of those records. Sounds silly, but knowing where the cattle can get green pasture, where your records are, and maybe where those 4-H projects are are all things that we need to think about now before we panic. And let's keep that in mind. When this really happens, Kurt, I can't imagine right now in Nebraska when that thing was moving as fast as it was, a mile every five minutes, if you could even be calm.
3: Well, Willie, I, you will appreciate this because uh, you you know so much about irrigation tech. So a lot of folks were trying to turn on their center pivots to get things watered and and protect, try and protect the system. Um, and what really happened was the winds were blowing 70 miles an hour, so the water was not uh, obviously being distributed in the area where it needed to be. And uh, in many cases, the tires melted off of the center pivots. Um, the, if they were running, the rims ended up being melted or bent and ended up twisting the systems, um, you know, in, in a – I mean, that's just one of the casualties. Uh, you know, perhaps that's not a, the greatest casualty, but it's certainly one big one in that particular area of this fire that's that's still burning down in southern Nebraska. So, yeah, it's – It's just a, it's heartbreaking in many ways, and there's a lot of things that we can and can't do. Um, A good friend of mine, a forester friend of mine in the Pine Ridge, told me once that the best deterrent to wildfires is a cow calf pair, because if you manage your grass, um on grasslands uh carefully you can reduce an awful lot of the fuel load in those wet years that will cause wildfires in the dry years and so um a lot of the you know even on public lands on forest service land along with all the private ranch land in the pine ridge there's a lot of attention more attention than ever before paid to how you graze in order to reduce that darn fuel load um And also uh, getting rid of invasive cedar trees. Uh, Jenny has as much trouble in Kansas as we do in Nebraska with that. And, you know, uh, keeping that fuel load, that is just, I mean, those cedar trees go up like Roman candles in a wildfire. And so they just spread fire. They're just, you know, really harsh uh, way to spread the fire. And so uh, keeping those cedars under control in, in those rough areas, it's difficult, it's costly. But when it comes to something like this, you know, it really makes a huge difference on how the fires burned, and how they act, and the damage that they'll do, so that's something else to keep in mind.
2: Bert, I'm really glad that you brought up nature's Roman candles, the Eastern Red cedar, because those are the bane of our existence out here. And there's a lot of folks that that don't understand that they are not helpful at all. they They don't provide wildlife shelter. they don't they don't do anything but suck up resources from good green grass. After the after the Anderson Creek fire, I remember going by a, a just a blackened moonscape of a pasture. And about a month later after we'd had some timely rain, I I realized that there were areas that were greening up faster than others, and those are areas where the the red cedars were actually decimated to a point that they they no longer were sucking the water out of the water table and the grass was able to grow again. And that green grass is going to be much better of a resource for livestock and for wildlife than an Eastern red cedar tree. So I'm, I'm so glad that you mentioned that. Um, They're, they're one of my uh, personal, I have a personal vendetta against them. I, was I can't gonna help say, it, but I <laughs>
0: feel like I feel some hatred. I feel there's hatred in this commentary about red cedar trees and I appreciate <laughs> it actually for both of you. That's for sure. So, Basically sum it up, you know, you can't do a lot about nature's wildfires except to be prepared as much as you can before. You know, you talked about keeping um, farmsteads clear, you know, in, in Colorado and places like that. There are whole processes for preparing when you're living in the woods to keep things away from your house. Now you got to think about it when you're on this open prairie, which maybe you didn't think about before. That's critical. And then also have a plan, know where the keys are, know who to call. And... uh something that I think people should be thinking about in the future. I appreciate you guys, uh, your work and coverage of this. Uh, People can check out what you're doing in nebraskafarmer.com and kansasfarmer.com. It's been good to talk to Jennifer Latsky and Kurt Arns. Thanks very much, Bob.
2: Thank you, Willie. Thanks,
3: Willie.
0: Thanks to Kurt Arns from Nebraska Farmer and Jennifer Latsky from Kansas Farmer for their insights on the wildfire situation. And we appreciate Tom Beckman's information on weather and its potential impact on the Eastern U.S. Short answer, 2022 will bring challenges to everyone that farms. Farm Progress is the nation's leading agriculture information source with 17 state and regional brands, as well as Farm Futures, Beef, National Hog Farmer, and Feedstuffs, and our events, including the Farm Progress Show, Husker Harvest Days, and the New York Farm Show. And there's another opportunity for staying connected to Farm Progress using your smartphone. If you text FARM to 20505, you can sign up for the Farm Progress mobile text service. When you send that first message, you'll get a confirmation. Be sure to respond to that too to make sure you officially get on the list. Once subscribed, you'll get a daily text alert containing a top-level news item from our editorial team. And you can eventually join the Farm Progress panel to share your insights with our regular polls. Join us next week as we continue our agriculture journey around the country. I'm Willie Vogt, Editorial Director at Farm Progress. Thanks for listening.